It's really important to understand your values and from there you can then be flexible. So it's not that we set out to be flour millers, it's that we set out to connect with the land and connect with community and support our family. This is Courtney, one half of Woodstock Flour. They're a flour milling business based on 95 acres in Lilliput, central Victoria. They're just down the road from the Rutherglen wine region. It's an area that gets its fair share of rain and chill, but on the day I'm there, it's a gorgeous and still winter's day. Uh, we're walking down towards the Black Dog Creek from our mill, and then this is where we're growing some wheat. It's our first year growing wheat on this farm. And this is Ian, the other half of Woodstock Flower. Grain farming is something that's in Ian's blood, but that doesn't mean they don't draw inspiration and learning from other sources. We really liked um, For the Love of Soil by Nicole Masters. And what's Gabe Brown's book called? Dirt to Soil. Dirt to Soil from Gabe Brown. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah, and then the Regenerative Agriculture podcast and getting out and reaching out with other growers and hearing about their experiences has been pretty important too. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have people doing the same thing as you and so you're not just all making the same mistakes and trying to reinvent the wheel on your, on your own. So I think that community thing is really important for farmers especially. Hi, I'm Sam Loy and welcome to Propagate, the show for young farmers and fishers. This season, we're looking at farmers who run value-add businesses, a generation of growers focused on sustainability, regenerative land management and closing the gap between producers and consumers. So we, we produce whole grain stone ground flour from the grain that we grow and we market that flour to bakers, families, chefs locally and in Melbourne, Sydney and, and further afield. Woodstock flour grow and mill six wheat grains although most of their crop is Spitfire and Rosella. But they also produce cereal rye, spelt, triticale, and we'll kick off a Coruscant variety pretty soon. On our bags of flour, it actually says the variety of wheat, where it was grown. And so for us, it's really important to be telling that story of diversity and flavour um, and how that relates to the variety in the place and the way that it was grown. But yeah, in terms of marketing, we've also been influenced by the, the wine industry, I guess, to some, to some degree. But just the local food movement as well. There's just like a growing interest in, in where food comes from and consumers are wanting to join the dots. And so we've really tried to incorporate that in our business from the very beginning, giving our customers as much information as they would like. And I think it's, it's something that we're trying to work out with the business moving forward is how we can support more organic growers and growers transitioning into more regenerative practices through the flour mill. The mill, or mills, that Courtney's talking about are nine foot high with granite wheels that are about a metre across. They're housed in a warehouse in the middle of Courtney and Ian's property. They imported their first one from America about five years ago, all up. It set them back $35,000. The other mill Ian built with his brother. It cost about the same, but had the added expense of the stress and toil attached to putting the thing together. 
here we run those, they produce about 70 kilos of flour an hour. Uh, they can run for about three hours before they get a bit too warm. We leave them for two hours and run it again, which means we're sort of running about 500 kilos a day. And the end product is the same as what we're putting in. We might lose a kilo a day that I sweep up off the floor and maybe a little bit into my lungs. And apart from that, <laughs> that's a really exciting thing to be producing a whole grain flour that uses everything and has all the good bits in it still. Yeah, we've been really interested in kind of conveying the importance of whole grain flour and encouraging people to use it because it is different when it's freshly milled and used within three months. It does taste better and the way that we mill it is quite, it's finely milled, so it, it performs quite well. So it's getting people to kind of understand that it's not that cardboard wholemeal flour that you get from the supermarket but it's this really fresh and alive product that kind of really adds to your baking. Woodstock flour wasn't always such a well-oiled mill machine. Way back when, just as they were starting out, their first investment was a $400 tabletop mill. And we were just milling at farmers markets fresh flour to order so people would come up and order their flour and we would mill it in front of them. It was a really cute idea, but it didn't make us much money and the flour wasn't really that hot a quality. Um, but it showed that there was interest in what we were doing and there was no one else doing it at that stage. And we started making connections with bakers who were really interested in getting grain straight from the farm, you know, having a close connection with a small-scale miller. So the bakers that we met, they gave us a lot of encouragement to then make that next step to import the, the stone mill and, and really get a, a more commercial, although small-scale, flour mill enterprise happening. It's always been demand that's driven us to see an opportunity and then take the next step, which has been a really, I guess, fortunate position to be in. But it's also something that we work pretty hard on is to build our relationships first and then take that next step so that people are bought into it, I guess, and be a part of it. The reason we bought the little kitchen mill was that we were kind of looking for a way to get involved in the family farm. Ian really respected his parents' farming practices and, and knew that they were growing some really great grain and even though they were getting the certified organic premium it, it still felt like this grain was being undervalued and just being shipped off in trucks so we we saw that there was someone there was a, a business called dad's oats and they were value adding the oats that their dad grew and selling rolled oats at farmers markets and so that kind of gave us the idea to to test out flour milling so that we could we could buy grain off Ian's parents, mill it and sell it. And then, then maybe that could create a, a way in for us to become more involved in the family farm. We only ever kind of started out on this path because we wanted to end up farming. We both studied a Bachelor of Environments at Melbourne University. And so we were really passionate about and have always been passionate about the environment. And we were kind of interested in conservation and environmental restoration, but it, it always kind of felt like there was a limit to that. And we started to see food production takes up so much land in Australia. If we could learn how to produce food in an, an environmentally um, sustainable way, then that is the clearest or the most 
direct way that we can create environmental change. So I guess the whole flour milling thing yeah, came out because we were wanting to farm, wanting to get involved in the family farm. And yeah, we saw an opportunity that people were interested in organic grain that they could access directly. And then one day, our well-known chef tapped them on the shoulder. Well, I guess the confidence came from we were at a farmer's market in Melbourne and Pippa James came up to us at the end of the market and said, look, we love what you guys are doing. We would like to get a ton a week. And we were like, oh, (laughs) really? (laughs) We can't do that with this. But I guess that really set the cogs turning. At the time, their total annual turnover was about $10,000. It was modest, but promising. And they wanted to do things the right way. So they sought out an accountant to make sure they were managing their finances like a proper business. But this accountant wouldn't really give them the time of day. You know, we decided that that accountant obviously wasn't for us. We found someone else who was, who helped us grow and learn. And, you know, we learnt a lot from them and they weren't dismissive of what we were doing. With this new ally in their corner, they felt the confidence to buy and import the mill from America. But Courtney and Ian were never under any illusions that things would just work out. So they prepared themselves for the possibility that all their toil would amount to a hill of grain. And they made peace with that. At one stage there, we were considering putting it on hiatus and going travelling and and woofing and and learning on other farms. But then we fell pregnant. (laughs) So... That was like definitely an impetus for us to like really dig out, you know, dig in and, and make this something that's, that can support us. Even in that stage, that was when we imported the mill. We were still open to letting it go, I think, if it wasn't going to work. Like we knew that the mill was a sort of in-demand piece of equipment that we could sell on if we wanted to, and we knew that, the thing, and we bought a diesel generator as well, which is another mobile asset that we could hold. So we were very sort of, I guess we were conscious to have things that were liquid assets, I guess, things that we could get rid of and not lose out on if it wasn't to work. But it did work. And as Courtney and Ian pushed on, they sought to understand the market and what would sell. And from there, we sort of, started following different bakers who were interested in this farm to loaf local grain economy sort of stuff and so we were doing all this sort of market research before we were saying will you buy our product as it is so it helped us shape then what the product was yeah i feel like we really just hit the ground running because we had that time while we were waiting for the mill to arrive in Australia to to really just build connections and get out there and meet people. Like a lot of connections were made through Instagram and we've we tried to have like a pretty solid Instagram presence and like show people who we were and tried to communicate what we were all about. So that was that worked and like that um, definitely helped us connect with a lot of bakers. But it was also about like hitting the pavement and actually going out and meeting people. And I think once you, you know, had a yarn with someone, that kind of connection was a lot stronger than just something that was built on Instagram. But saying that, I think when we've tried to, say, hit the pavement to sell a product, to like 
if we cold call someone and say, will you buy our product? It hasn't worked. Yeah. That's so we've true. definitely found that it's been more about building the brand and the connections with people and like not actively trying to sell it directly to people, but engaging in the, in the space and being active and mm. generous and helpful to other people is a much better marketing strategy we've found yeah, than definitely. actually ringing people up and saying, we have this flower, will you buy it? I don't think that's worked once. There's no, <laughs> a common theme of community that runs through the Woodstock flower story. Ian's brother was on hand to help build their second big commercial mill. Bakers became their customers and then their friends, helping them understand what the marketplace wanted. There's also this sense that Courtney and Ian weren't in this alone, which came to the fore when it was time to buy their property. So we moved here one year ago, and I'd say a year to 18 months before that, we really decided that we wanted to buy our own bit of land, develop the mill. Like we had ideas to expand the mill that we needed three-phase power for, and we also needed a place for us to live and bring up our family and really create deep connection to the land and to our community. Yeah, so I guess we decided that that's, that is what we wanted to do. When we started, I guess we first started just like looking at properties and stuff and trying to get an idea of what would and wouldn't work and running a few hypothetical scenarios. But then we, we came across Cultivate Farms and we saw that they were running a program which was basically to build a pitch of your farm purchase. This pitch and the ideas behind it would then be fostered and moulded by mentors and finally presented to an investor panel. Some young farmers in the Cultivator program find investors and partners through the initiative. We did a story where we chatted with Cultivate Farms last season. It was the episode called You Can Start Small If You're Keen to Learn More. But for Courtney and Ian... They went through the Cultivator program because they weren't confident they could secure a loan through the bank. Yeah, it was a really good experience because it helped us get clear on what we want out of a farm and also get clear on where we want the business to go. Um, so it really yeah, solidified and reinforced what we wanted. So it made the whole farm search a lot yeah, we were a lot more determined and um, yeah, clear on what we on what we wanted to get out of it. And we actually, through that program, we were paired up with a couple of investors. We were pretty close to negotiating a deal with these investors. So we'd already put an offer in on the place that was accepted. Yeah. And we didn't, at this stage, know exactly how we were going to pay for it. <laughs> pretty <laughs> audacious, I guess. And then, I guess it was around that time that we we were talking this through with my mum and dad and we said, look, this is what we're doing. And we, we'd been talking to them about it through. And they sort of said, well, look, why couldn't we just be the investors? Why can't we maybe use some of this security of our farm to help us buy this farm? And so we explored that option a lot further and that's the way we did it. So one of the titles formed the security for us to buy this property here. 
But we also had to put forward a business case to the bank as well. So a lot of it was riding on how much money we're going to make out of the flour mill and, and the farming enterprise here. So it wasn't just based on the security. But I think it was reassuring for Ian's parents to see our business case and and the pitch that we were putting to investors. So we probably should have just pitched it to them from the very beginning. Um, But it was a good process for us to go through. And maybe it was also validating to have these, you know, there's these investors that are interested in us and maybe Ian's parents felt more confident in in the way that we we were heading. Courtney says it's not a case of choosing the first path that is laid out before you. She reckons you have to be aware of all the avenues available. There was like a a fair bit of discussion around like leasing farmland and share farming and like alternative approaches to to farming and and making money from farming that are outside of the traditional like family farm model, which I think is important for young people to, to get their heads around that there's other ways of of doing what you what you love which is farming without trying to find five hundred thousand dollars for a deposit but I guess just like talking to other young people and trying to break down some of these traditional barriers around finances like I feel like in agriculture there's a lot of walls up when it comes to discussing numbers but if we can be a bit more open and and work out what people are doing with family succession. There's some really crazy, interesting things happening there. But yeah, I think starting small for us in terms of farming was the only way that we could do it and really nailing the marketing side. Like it's all well and good to strive for 500 acres, but if you don't have a really strong market for whatever is coming off that 500 acres, then it's a flawed business model with the way that land prices are heading. So really nailing your marketing and getting your head around marketing from the get-go at a small scale is going to, to serve you in the long run. The plot Courtney and Ian bought had a $950,000 price tag. They had a 10% deposit in their savings. And with Ian's family providing security and a good business plan in place, things were looking good for Woodstock Flower. And so they took up the 95 acres in Lilliput. But as they tallied up their finances, they realised that the price tag on the property left almost no money for operating costs. And so we had a bank manager who knew our story and was sort of on board with us before we were even going to them with a specific case. Um, so I guess we had discussed the options around, you know, if we do this, we're going to have no operating cash. What can we do? And he, he said, look, you can probably, if you have enough security, you'd be able to then get your deposit back as from the bank to then keep you going. So I'm not sure if that's unique but um it was definitely instrumental like because we couldn't have just you can't grow a business without having any money ian can't emphasize enough how important running the numbers was to their journey of becoming farm owners i could see clearly that if we doubled our current income and didn't get too wild on our expenses that it was achievable to pay this place off in 15 years we were like yeah this this could work 
and it didn't seem too big a step felt really achievable and we still look at those numbers that we created not so much to see if we're doing exactly but to see if we're on the same track and yeah so that definitely gives us confidence to and obviously gave the bank confidence to say that yeah look we are able to do this Uh, I guess we had a few different scenarios so we would do you know here's a scenario if we can get 50 ton of grain off the farm each year but here's a scenario if we don't get anything but we're still putting in input costs and to see that okay like yeah we're not getting super ahead in those years or but we can't handle it I guess that was yeah part of that reassuring process and then even to say oh if the mill doesn't do as well for one year like we would where would we be at and work out how we could get better from there. And so, with all their ducks in a row, Courtney and Ian bought the farm. If being grain growers and millers wasn't enough, the business also requires Courtney and Ian to be distributors. In the early days, they could deliver orders themselves, but with the yield they are producing now, and with the number of customers they have, that's no longer an option. And possibly the best solution to the problem of distribution has been to establish a community of like-minded people. We've gone through a few different freight companies, but now we have a few good connections with a local carrier who takes it down to Melbourne, and then Melbourne farmers markets have actually sort of developed a, a system with us as well as almost the pilot for the program to then start they do our last mile logistics so they'll they accept a pallet deliver to our main bakeries a few of the smaller guys will come and pick up from them and then there's also home bakers that can pick up direct from them in sydney they've made a connection with craft beer makers wildflower brewery Wildflower uses some of Woodstock's grain in their beers, but they also accept a large shipment of flour to their warehouse that customers can then come and pick up. Which is really awesome to have those collaborative relationships, which then has allowed us to get a few more customers in Sydney before, yes, so without having to pay heaps for freight to get it, we could sort of test the waters. And now we have customers there who will take a whole pallet at once and it becomes viable. It's plain to see that none of what Woodstock Flower does would be possible if it weren't for the support and buy-in of others. There's family, there's the cultivator program, and now there's like-minded makers and producers helping distribute their wares. Community is embedded in not only their business practices, but also their life and values. We started out as, you know, with this real strong interest in improving the environmental values of of farmland but we've like you know as we've educated ourselves more and built this business where we've learned the the importance of community and how that is integral to environmental change I guess so it has become a really strong part of our business we've just started paying one percent 
of our sales to pay the rent to local Aboriginal organisations, just as like a, I don't know, a way to connect with the local First Nations community and to, to obviously give back because we've learned a lot about Indigenous land management and how important that is for the Australian ecosystems. But in terms of food systems, like, I think the decentralisation of our food systems where food is no longer produced in situ for communities, like, that has created a lot of environmental problems, I guess. And so our focus on localising grain and bringing grain back to where it's grown and appreciated where it's grown is it's like that has to work alongside community and building up community and yeah building relationships as a means to diversify their trade and because it's fun and aligns with their core flower business Courtney and Ian have also started a lamb side hustle yeah, so we bought um, over 100 merino lambs not long after we, we got here. And the idea with our, with our sheep is that we want to really integrate them within our cropping system, so utilise them for weed management and um, to manage the stubbles in the summer and, and make use of the paddocks during the summer break. And we've started working with a local butcher which has been really awesome to sell whole lambs. So we sell a whole lamb for $360 for a box and then we deliver it to their door when it's ready. So it's it's been really awesome. You know, it's a little bit of a harder sell maybe because there are a few other producers marketing meat, but it's just, yeah, complements our flour milling business quite quite nicely. And then so having these animals, we knew that we also had a, customer database of people who cared about the way their flower was farmed so we just shot out an email and said look we're going to have a few lambs would you like one so of the 120 we bought we've sold 50 that way 20 of the bottom ones went to the yards and then yeah probably another 10 we've nearly eaten ourselves (laughs) or given away and for us like we are putting a fair bit of effort into moving the sheep every two to three days, trying to create a bit of impact on the land that they're on and then move them on and give it a lot of rest. So it is quite a high labour input, the way we're keeping these sheep. So we definitely want to see a fairly good financial return from them or otherwise we should put our energy into something else. I feel like you would put effort into sheep irrespective of financial return though (laughs) yes but maybe we wouldn't continue with it do you know what i mean (laughs) like you put effort into it and then end of the year go look that was a silly thing to do but you love them so much yeah maybe i could have one pet (laughs) (laughs) back to the flower and looking ahead to the future courtney and ian are set to scale up further They recently received a grant from Sustainable Table, a not-for-profit delivering development funding to help people make the connection between their food and the state of their planet. Yeah, so the Sustainable Table grant that we got was 
50 grand, which was really nice <laughs> for us. And it was to purchase the sifter and alongside the sifter to kind of run a bit of a campaign around sharing our experience and sharing the story of others that are working in the local grain space. So the sifter will arrive hopefully in the next month, which will be exciting, so we can start producing the high extraction flour. But in the meantime, we've been doing some Insta Live interviews, so with a, a few different people that we're friends with in the kind of local grains area. We recently spoke to a baker and a farmer, and we just chat with them online and hear their story and what their challenges and opportunities they've come across just to kind of build a bit more momentum around this local grain movement that's really kicking off. This Instagram activity is nothing new for Woodstock Flower. Not surprising for a couple of young farmers, really. And Ian believes a good online presence is a really powerful tool in the farmer's kit. It's an opportunity to tell the story that you want people to receive. It's like, it is something you can have a fair bit of control over and people are gonna google you so you may as well make it just put a bit of effort into it and create it as the landing page for what you want to represent we've really just figured out the marketing thing on our own like we've researched it a little bit online and stuff but we've not done any kind of major courses or anything like that And we've definitely still got a lot to learn and a lot to implement. Like, I'd like us to be more consistent with our marketing and I'd like us to clean up our website and there's a lot that we still need to do. But I think, yeah, we've just kind of figured it out through trial and error. And I think it's also kind of worked in our favour to not be too polished as well. Like, maybe there's there's something in actually coming across as, as farmers and, you know, not spending too much time polishing up our marketing like people people think that we're authentic (laughs) from a 400 dollars tabletop mill making flour for customers at the farmer's market Courtney and Ian followed a path that opened up before them they tuned into what the market was wanting what they could manage producing and in a way that aligned with their environmental sustainable values their story thus far has been one about connection connection to the land and connection to others. What we've sort of learnt through our five years of running Woodstock Flower is that it's it almost always comes back to relationships and the community that you have around you. If we think back on opportunities, we always think, wow, like that relationship is probably what created that opportunity. And it reinforces to us that those that creating a community around us and strengthening relationships is almost, yeah, is very important, almost as important as growing our product and getting it right. It's been good for us to focus on building a really solid team around us. Like we're still working on it for sure, but there's no point surrounding ourselves with people that aren't gonna support us and, and lift us in the way that we wanna, we wanna go. Thanks to Courtney and Ian from Woodstock Flower for chatting with me for this episode. Check them out online on their webpage or on Instagram. All episodes of Propagate Season 4 are out now, 
Find them wherever you get your podcasts. And on the next episode of Propagate. So the first farm that we leased was 96 acres. We initially bought 77 cows and that was all we had for three years. And over time built the herd up to the point where we were milking 96 cows on 96 acres, which allowed us and and pushed us to make the next step. Propagate is a podcast from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries and an initiative by the Young Farmer Business Programme.